So we're continuing today in our series through the book of James, and we're getting down towards the end. And so we're looking at James 5, verses 1 to 12. You've heard that scripture read for us. And we're looking at Christ-centered faith. This week, we're looking at the reality of Christ-centered faith and suffering. And I've kind of titled, a subtitle of my message today is, The God Who Sees. I begin this message today with an illustration right from the Bible, a biblical illustration. Do you remember the story of Hagar in the Old Testament? She was Abraham's concubine and the mother of the son, Ishmael. She was purchased in Egypt. She served as a maid to Abraham's childless wife, Sarah, who gave her to Abraham to conceive an heir. When Hagar became pregnant... With Abraham's reluctant permission, Sarah treated her so harshly that Hagar fled into the wilderness and ran away. There by a spring of water she was found by the angel of the Lord who told her to return home and to submit. Hagar did return home to bear her child, her son. But why do I share that story? Because there is a particular verse that I want us to start this morning with in Genesis 16, verse 13. It's very powerful. It changed Hagar's life. In verse 13 of Genesis 16, when this encounter has happened, this is what she said. She gave him this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. The word in Hebrew is El Roy. But do you realize that this is the first time that this name is used for God, El Roy. And it is said to this foreigner, this Egyptian, that had this encounter with God. I think... This morning, this truth is what James has behind this passage. You see, ultimately, God sees us. And so, therefore, if God sees us, he sees everything. As we notice in verses 1 to 6 that was read, Hebrews 4, 13 tells us, And before him no creature is hidden, but all are naked and laid bare to the eyes of the one to whom we must render an account. The writer to Hebrews knew that God sees. God sees everything. And the fact that God sees everything should challenge us on our conduct, should challenge us on our way that we would do business. In these beginning verses, James is warning rich oppressors who have taken advantage of the poor. They have failed to pay their workers their proper wages. They have condemned and murdered the innocent. They might be rich. They sit back in their indulgence. But look at how the way they got their money, God sees. Jesus warned us this way in Matthew chapter 6. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and decay destroy And thieves break in and steal, but store up treasures in heaven where neither moth nor decay destroys, nor thieves break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there also will your heart be. 
Let's remind ourselves again that James is writing his letter to the church. If they have been fraudulent, it's not too late to change their ways. He tells them to weep. In other words, repent. We repent because God sees. I like this statement. In the end, it will not be about what we possess that matters, but what possesses us. Look also at verse 9, a little further down. Uh, James says God sees and he warns and he says, and, and God hears and he knows. He knows when you grumble against your brother or your sister. He says, watch out because the judge is standing at the door. He's coming soon. We don't know when that door will open. He's standing at the door and he can hear, he can listen. There is the reminder again about the power of the tongue and our speech. As we'll see at the end of this passage, God sees and God knows. But there's this beautiful promise again, and we keep getting that through the book of James, don't we? This challenge, but also the promise. He says, God sees me much like Hagar to those who are facing trials and unfair conditions. It is also a word of comfort. God sees me. I'm not forgotten in my struggles. I'm not rejected or alone. I matter. And I have significance. So James says, in that knowledge, be patient. Persevere. Don't give up. Patiently stay the course. Life isn't fair. But it isn't over yet. The story has not come to its finish. Wait for the Lord's coming when all things will be made right again. Wrongs will be put right. The Lord is coming The Lord will one day make all those things that the wrongs, he will make them right. We are challenged as we look at this passage this morning, the church in this day to say, but God, it's been over 2,000 years. How long does the church of Jesus Christ have to wait? I like this little story, this lesson that Jimmy learned. God, are you really there, Jimmy said out loud. To his astonishment, a voice came from the clouds. Yes, Jimmy, what can I do for you? Seizing the opportunity, Jimmy asked God, what is a million years like to you? Knowing that Jimmy could not understand the concept of affinity, God responded in a manner to which Jimmy would relate. A million years to me, Jimmy, is like a minute. Oh, said Jimmy, well then what's a million dollars like to you? A million dollars to me, Jimmy, is like a penny. Wow, remarked Jimmy. Quite smart little fella, getting the idea. You're so generous, God. Can I have one of your pennies? God replied, sure thing, Jimmy. Just a minute. We don't know when that day will be, but we are called to persevere and to be patient We're called to patiently wait like a farmer, uh, James says here. Farmers have to be patient and trust. I think they're sometimes the greatest people of faith as they go out in the spring and plant. But they can't make it rain, (laughs) as we've seen in recent days, or cause a seed to sprout. 
because there are things they have no control over. There are things that only God can do. The farmer waits patiently, but he's not passive in his waiting. He partners with God in the process. He does what he can do, and then ultimately he has to leave the rest with God. And so James is saying it is the same for us. We have to do our part. And then patiently, we wait for God to do his part. We're not in control. Never have been, never will be. It's ultimately a matter of trust and faith because God sees me. He then uses the example of the prophets in the Old Testament. Look at the prophets of old. They had their focus on a future hope. Even though they were facing dire situations, they persevered. I love what Eugene Peterson, the title of his book, a phrase that he took, a long obedience in the same direction. That phrase has challenged me many times. A long obedience in the same direction. That is what God is calling us as the church of Jesus Christ. That is what God is calling for us, even facing a COVID-19 pandemic. See, the Old Testament prophets, their focus was on a future goal. And I challenge you this morning, keep your eye on the future goal. James then says, look at the example of Job in the Old Testament. He persevere, persevered through severe problems. His problems were so dire, at one point, his wife told him, curse God and just die. Now that's really encouraging, isn't it? In other words, just throw in the towel, Job. Just, just give up. And I know people, and I've met people, and I believe even now some of you listening are feeling like giving up. I'm just going to give up. But I challenge you this morning, as James would say, you can't. You can't quit. We're all called to persevere because the best is yet to come. I thought about the fact that a runner doesn't get the reward or the prize while they're running the race. It's at the finish line that you receive your reward, your prize. So we have to be patient and we have to persevere. In the last chapter of Job, powerful passage, chapter 42, those first five verses I want to read for you. Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You ask, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now, I will speak. I will question you, and you shall answer me. Now listen to verse 5. My ears have heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Doesn't that sound like Hagar? I see the one who sees me. God sees. So if God is El Roy and sees everything and sees me, as we come to that verse 12, I must be careful again of my speech. We're always challenged in James about the power of the tongue, aren't we? We keep coming back to those same issues. I, I must be challenged to walk my talk. I must let my yes be yes and my no be no. I must be very careful what I swear to and give oaths to on earth. Because God sees and hears and knows. 
My friends, lies are all around us. They are an acceptable way of life, but not so for the church of Jesus Christ. We are to say what we mean and to be speakers of truth, for we know who is the father of lies. There is no gray area here. And so in conclusion, I want to share a story of a Christian individual. I had the uh, privilege of hearing about him back in 2014, never knew of him before that, and it impressed me. His story, his life really impressed me and challenged me in that season of my life to be one who persevered and and stood up to fraudulent rich individuals he did who took advantage of the poor. So what does it mean for me to be a person of integrity in my day and the injustices we see around us? His name was Wilford Thomason Grenfell. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. I, I challenge you to read a little bit more about his story. Wilfred Thomason Grenfell, G-R-E-N-F-E-L-L, Grenfell. For 42 years, he served as a traveling country doctor in one of the most difficult, neglected areas of his day, northern Newfoundland and Labrador. When Grenfell first came to Labrador in 1892 from England as a medical missionary to a fleet of visiting Newfoundland fishing schooners, he did not plan to stay long. He was just going to do a short mission trip. (laughs) Among the natives, the Indians of the interior, the Eskimos of the north, and the poor white families, he found widespread poverty, illness, and ignorance. And therefore, he devoted the rest of his life to making their lives different, better, easier. And he patiently persevered through all kinds of conditions. When Grenfell first arrived, he took notice of an abusive economic system that was particularly unfair to the fishermen of that particular area. It was downright fraudulent in his opinion. The merchants had created this credit system where physical money was very rarely seen. When fishermen needed clothes, food, or fishing supplies for their livelihood and their families, uh, merchants would give it to them in, in, in a debt to be paid off in credit, which we don't see much in the stores today, do we? When summer came and the fishermen brought their catch to the merchants to sell on the international market, they would simply take the fish as a reimbursement for the items they had given to the fishermen all throughout that year earlier. But you know what? It was never enough. So the poor fishermen and their families were always in their debt, always behind, which resulted in the dire poverty that Grenfell witnessed and living conditions. So the rich got richer and the poor got poorer. Sounds very familiar, doesn't it? Grenfell, this good Christian man, was set on challenging this unfair system. He began organizing cooperatives, co-op, all along the coast. The fishermen now had an outlet to sell their fish and get actual money in return. But Grenfell didn't just stop there. As a man of action, and someone called him a muscular Christian, I like that term, and a social reformer, he addressed the many challenges. He set up cooperatives all over, provided religious services, established a handicraft and industrial unit 
to do training, built orphanages and schools, clinics and hospitals, trained doctors and nurses, published many books, and I could go on and on. He encouraged this healthier eating by growing vegetables and even introduced reindeer <laughs> to provide extra meat. You know, much later in his life, people wanted to hear of him. They praised him for what he had done and accomplished as this person who patiently persevered. Later in his life, his work so impressed the British government that in 1927, King George V made him a knight. He had now become a lord. But I don't think that really impressed Grenville so much. The greatest blessing to his patience and perseverance was to witness the many lives he was able to help change and impact for the cause of Christ. Grenville was one who knew and lived the truth. God sees, and God sees me. I give you a quote of his. He said, the service we render to others is really the rent we pay for our room on this earth. It is obvious that man is himself a traveler, that the purpose of this world is not to have and to hold, but to give and to serve. There can be no other meaning. I end with the message, what James had to say in our passage this morning. And a final word to you arrogant rich. Take some lessons in the lament. You'll need buckets for the tears when the crash comes upon you. Your money is corrupt and your fine clothes stink. Your greedy luxuries are a cancer in your gut, destroying your life from within. You thought you were piling up wealth? Well, what you've piled up is just judgment. All the workers you've exploited and cheated cry out for judgment. The groans of the workers you used and abused are a roar in the ears of the master avenger. You've looted the earth and lived it up, but all you have to show for it is a fatter-than-usual corpse. In fact, what you've done is condemn and murder perfectly good persons who stand there and take it. Meanwhile, friends, wait patiently for the master's arrival. You see farmers do this all the time, waiting for their valuable crops to mature, patiently letting the rain do its slow but sure work. Be patient like that. Stay steady and strong. The master could arrive at any time. Friends, don't complain about each other. A far greater complaint could be lodged against you, you know. The judge is standing just around the corner. Take the old prophets as your mentors. They put up with anything, went through everything, and never once quit all the time honoring God. What a gift life is to those who stay the course. You've heard, of course, of Job's staying power, and you know how God brought it all together for him in the end. That's because God cares, cares right down to the last detail. And since you know that he cares, let your language show it. Don't add words like I swear to God or your word, your own words. Don't show your impatience by concocting oaths to hurry up God. Just say yes or no. Just say what is true. That way your language can be used, can't be used against you. Amen. God, help us today. Lord, help us to realize that you see and you see us and us to live a life worthy of that. Amen.